I'm Lisa Bontesumi, and this is the Ath Mindset podcast series on Sports Epreneur. This podcast series is a space for conversations with athletes, coaches, practitioners, and stakeholders in sports. And it's where those individuals share their perspectives, experiences, and thoughts on mental health in sports. Eric Kazimoff of Sports Epreneur is generously hosting the Ath Mindset podcast series on his platform as he deeply believes that these conversations are essential and deserve to be prioritized. This is the Ath Mindset podcast series on Sports Epreneur. Sports Epreneur, the content platform where sports, entrepreneurship, and mental health collide. If you are looking to start a podcast or create original content, you have to talk with the team at Sports Epreneur. I work with them and I vouch for them. It's that simple. Go to sportse.io to learn more. Hello, everybody. I'm super excited to have Dr. Missy Price with us today. She is the United Soccer League's Vice President of Women's Soccer. And, you know, she has a lot of experience that brings her to this role that makes her more than equipped to execute the functions of this role as a former coach, educator, a sports psychologist. Um, and I'm just excited to pick her brain and have a conversation. So welcome, Missy. Hi, thank you for Hi. having me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. I know you said you're struggling with a little bit of a hoarse voice, but it is what it is. And we'll, we'll make it happen nonetheless. Um, but you, you've been appointed to this role back in January. Am I correct? Yes. 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 And tell me about how you're feeling about the, you know, the upcoming, upcoming women's leagues in the USL, how you're envisioning it, just how you feel that there's actually in the celebration of title nine right now, 50 years, like, how is this like, everything basically (laughs) it's it's somewhat surreal i'll be honest it feels like this full circle moment of especially in the week of title nine that we're recording this i feel like it's this moment where i'm now sitting in a position of being at an executive level being in a decision decision making role right in a leadership role to advance women's soccer for the people who are playing it for the people who are coaching it, for the people who are going to be working in it, um, whether that's sort of like in the front office or on the field, whatever, like you name it, I get to be a leader in that space. And I, I really don't think I would have those opportunities if it wasn't for Title IX. You know, right. I, won't, I won't take you down my whole history of, of life, but I'm old enough to have been really impacted by it in the sense of my high school didn't have girls soccer until I was a freshman. Mm. I played on boys teams in like middle school and things like that, right? I played in my youth systems and, and on girls teams, but when it came to like the high school model and playing there, I was prepared to play on the boys team, but we ended up getting girls soccer. Many of the colleges I coached at, their women's programs, where I would say some of the like later to get women's soccer, they weren't the ones who got it in the eighties or the nineties. They got it in the like early two thousands. Right. So those that like, when I played the schools that I worked at didn't have women's soccer when I was a college player, but when I coached, they did, you know, so 
I, I think there's something to be said for the, my career path, um, even educationally, being able to get a PhD in sports psychology um, as a woman in an educational field and sort of excelling to that highest level of a degree, just all of it. So it feels very surreal to me to now be in this position. Um, you asked me what, you know, what am I most excited about that what we're doing? And I would say the biggest thing that, that I'm excited about is that idea of creating opportunities, being able to advance the game um, and being able to kind of look at what are the next iterations of women's soccer in our country and globally? And how do I get to be a part of that? No, I, I appreciate it. And really, I mean, to hear that they didn't have women's soccer um, at different parts of your life and now look at where we are now is I can, I see why it would be surreal. I mean, and that you, like you said, you're in a, you know, you're an important, I mean, you like to try to downplay it, but you are the vice president of women's soccer in the USL. I mean, all, all that, that, all your experience has brought you to this, all your life experience, um, your education, your training. Um, it's, I feel super proud to have you in this position and as a female and, you know, with a daughter who plays, um, you know, high level softball. And I was telling her about title nine and the history. And she's like, really? Oh, like, you know, and it's important to tell our young ones about that. And for us to be humble enough to know what's come before us to get us here. So I just, I'm just, yeah, I'm proud to be sitting with you at, at this time and on this week. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah. What is, what in your main role, it's to structure the technical departments of these, you know, the women's teams in the USL. What do you think about, what's your mindset or your sort of area of emphasis when you think about how that structuring goes? That's a great question. I think for me, I tend to approach everything as we're building the women's vertical and as we're mm -hmm. layering in these different leagues. So we have the W League going right now, which is a pre-professional or an, an amateur space for players to play. It runs May to July, right? So players aren't being paid to play. It's a short season, but they're getting training in games. Um, a lot of people think of it as the season in between, like for college players, right? Like a summer league. Mm -hmm. But what I like to think about it is like, it's more than that. So I always come to things with like, what's the holistic approach to the development of the players and the coaches. So that's my lens that I look through and development. When you say like the player development, you know, the player development model, what does that mean? Well, sure. It's their their techniques, their tactics, their, their fitness, their mental health, their, their overall well-being as a player, because I think we all know our players are not going to be able to perform if they don't have the right support structures in place to do the actual performance things, the kicking, the passing, the scoring, right? The running, all of that yeah. stuff, but also yep. like the other support, and that's where I think the holistic piece comes in. That other support is different for everyone. The on-field stuff is too, to some degree, but it, but it's not. I think some people, you know, support looks very different. They want more social kinds of support. Other people want more sort of emotional kinds of support. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 
everything that we do then is me, like how do we holistically develop these players to go on to be good at what they want to do next? And I don't want to put a, like a barrier or a, or a box around next. Mm -hmm, I want to leave mm -hmm. that open-ended for people mm -hmm. to fill that in for what they want it to be. And I would say the same goes for our coaches. So that is my focus, players and coaches, thinking about development, identification, um, support structures, and all of those things. So how do we, if, you know, if we have a coach who is working in our W League structure right now, and they have a desire to be a professional coach, what are we doing to potentially support that? And in the short time that that W League season operates, are we giving them the right tools or is, you know, are there, are there things that we can be doing to support their education just in that period of time or, you know, throughout the calendar year? So that's my take on it. Lisa, it's like, how do we look at everything through that lens and get it to the, get it as right as we can for people because they're going to stay in the game. Right. That player then will see how a coach, for example, how you can become a successful coach and have that be a healthy lifestyle for you or a successful one, or how you can have that be a career, right? And they can see that modeled out for them. And the same would go for our executives and everyone else in our staff departments, but my role focuses on those technical aspects of coaches and players. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it. I think that, you know, it, it, it's such a perfect fit. I mean, which came first, you know, you're way of viewing things or your experiences have informed you as a coach yourself and as a sports psychologist. It's like hard to differentiate, I'm sure, but but the fact that you can bring all of that and see, you know, the coaches and players as holistic beings who are not just unilaterally one thing all the time. And that that development um, of them from one level to the next, because like in any job, oh, okay. We want to develop them as a professional so they can go to the next level if that's what they want. Why would it be any different here? So Yeah, and sports are results focused, right? Mm -hmm. It's the nature of it. You win or you lose. And, and whether that's a coach or a player, like we're competitive, we're results focused. Like you can't, you can't just take that stuff out. I think sometimes, you know, we look at it and say, yeah, but we got to win, right? And, and like, <laughs> I'm not saying that we're taking that out. I'm saying that, if you can have healthy team cultures that focus on belonging and inclusion and understanding and communication, right? Not, not, we're not, that, you know, it's not all going to be perfect all the time. We're not trying to make everybody happy. That's different. That's not what we're saying. Yeah. We're saying you and I can disagree and have a conversation about that. That lends to both of us taking something away that makes us a better teammate or a better coach and, and coworker in that moment, right? Like those are the kind of interactions. So if you can have those healthy environments where people can work, like our, yeah. our athletes playing is working. Yeah, that's, that's job, right. Yep. Right. Yep. And our coaches being able to have those same kinds of environments, they want to feel like they can excel and be themselves and belong in those environments too. Right. So you create those environments I'm a firm believer in, and you look at different theories of motivation in how if we fuel these different correlates of motivation, then we're going to get the best out of those people on the field and off the field. 
which is going to lead to that performance. The only variable we, we can't really impact is talent outside mm -hmm. of weather, referees, field surfaces, right? Outside of all those other un uncontrollables. Yeah. But we can develop talent. We can't control how much someone has. So if we put all those things in place, I feel like it doesn't always happen as fast as people would like, but I do feel like it, it equates to that same result. You will get the wins, you will get the performance, you will get those outcome goals or those success, um, things that are defined by more numbers and standards and mm -hmm. bottom line. Yeah, and I think, I think people, it's the both and, like we can have a healthy environment, we can develop it, we can develop the players, the coaches, and, um, and compete healthfully and win. Like it's mm -hmm. not an or, um, the performances, the performance outcomes that people all want, um, will come in time, but people need to respect the process, not just be in the process respect that it will get you there. And I think that's a tough one. Um, but you know, one step at a time. And I think starting from the top, like you are at your level all the way down, it will trickle. Um, and providing that for everyone, I think, I think it's amazing. I think also the piece I was thinking about too was athletic identity or coaching at identity. You know, when that's lost, there can be a, a bit of a crisis that happens there for people. And I think what you're talking about is that, okay, you may be able to leave one role and still go on to the next one and not lose it while, while you're developing it in your current role. I mean, I think you alluded to it, but some people are like, but I don't want to focus on that. That that means I'm taking focus away from here. But you can. You're a dynamic human. You can do a couple of things at the same time. <laughs> yeah. You know. I mean, a player learning to have a really meaningful, effective conversation with a coach, um, or like a, a team doctor or physio or mm -hmm. fitness mm -hmm. professional, or any any of those that they might see as, um, you know, someone who's whether they see them as a mentor or someone who's got like a little bit maybe of authority or decision-making power to some degree, right. Over what this athlete can and can't do, like being able to have that feedback loop or that conflict resolution discussion or like problem solving communication, all of those kinds of things that managing up sort of skill mm. is huge. Mm, right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think it's all about perspective. Like, when you go into those, you know, and coaches same way is those meetings can be, those meetings can be transactional uh -huh. or they can be transformative. You can learn from them and be like, that conversation went well, here's why, or here's what I've learned from how I'm working with that athlete. That then helps you better communicate either in your own environment with your team there or in other aspects of your life. But I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. It, it's just making a conscious choice to look at it from that way. So, hey, I'm a player. I'm coming in to meet with you. You're my coach. I can look at that as I like I have to or I got to do this or coach called me in or, you know, what are we going to talk about now? Or I can look at that as an opportunity to teach myself about this like managing up conversation or what I might perceive as a difficult conversation to have or I don't do well in these situations. I don't know. I just freeze. Well, I can look at this as I'm going to go into this and try to take a skill out of it, not just have it be, 
it's my weekly meeting, let's go do this, you know, and that's a skill when you get to the next thing, like a lot of, um, you know, sort of leaderships or you hear a lot about uh, executive level or C-suite people in the business world, mm -hmm. like I have op op open office hours, anyone can drop in and talk to me. Well, you may not do that if you don't have the, feel like you have the skill set to drop in and talk to someone who's in a senior level position than you. Think of your player and coach relationship somewhat in that way to garner those skills. Exactly. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. I think, and the more you get comfortable as a player and as a coach to have those, those meetings, then when you do leave the sport at some point in your life and you go in, go into another career or job, you have those skills that you've practiced and they, they absolutely transfer. Yeah. So I love, I love that development part. I love that development part. I mentioned that, you know, that there are so many experiences and roles you've had that have brought you to this role. Um, and we were just talking professionally, like what other roles in your life or identities that do you hold that you're proud of? <laughs> um, I'm a mom, <laughs> which has been like a science experiment. So I somewhat think I am a, uh, <laughs> I'm just like a crazy chemist trying to throw ideas together and see what happens or uh -huh. engineering something. I feel like parenting is somewhat of this experimental um, thing for both the parent and the child. So um, I'm a mom. Yes. I, am, I would tell you that I identify as an advocate in a lot of spaces. Mm. Um, I'm in an interracial marriage that is also a gay marriage. So I identify as being the wife of a woman and my wife is black. And so I think that for me, my advocacy role is both in the LGBTQ plus community um, as a gay woman in sport and now as a coach and also in sport in the sort of the business of sport now. Um, and advocating um, both, both in the sense of for the LGBTQ plus community, but also in the understanding of everyone else who's allies and not, not potentially allies at this point, mm. um, just trying to be a listener and trying to make space. Um, and I've also really been working hard to advocate um, for people of color and to really try to do my part in being an anti-racist mm -hmm. and do that work and um, be intentional about it. So I think from those ways I advocate, I'm a woman and I'm a woman in sport. Mm. And as a woman in sport and a woman in coaching, I've constantly been advocating for women in coaching and uh, how, um, we could do a whole nother podcast on it, but technically, uh -huh. <laughs> and maybe we um, will, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, how systemically women, um, women need different types of support in the field of coaching. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's ways that are really easy to do that. And um, I think you hear a lot about how there's not enough women in coaching or women don't apply for jobs or this or that. There's a lot of myths out there. So I try to be an advocate in that space. Um, that's, those are some of my other identities, I would say, um, that I lean into a lot in my role as well, 
is to part of the reason and the excitement for taking this position was the USL's commitment to equity for women mm-hmm. in soccer and in this space. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to be in a place that values that because that's who I am. I'm going to be yeah. constantly like sort of, you know, raising flags up and making noise about all that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, that's probably exactly why they chose you um, to represent because you, you aren't, don't just work in it. You, you live it. And it's, you know, part of your lived experience that makes, makes, um, the, the passion and advocacy and just who you are as a human to this role. Um, cause you are, whether you like it or not, a role model to a lot of people, um, young girls, um, uh, uh, gay girls, like gay people, um, people in interracial marriages, like being a woman in sports, um, that just by being you and living your life, people are like, oh, wow, like she's doing, I think maybe then why can't I? And that's, you're not doing anything extra special, but being you, which is the amazing part of it. And you're going to raise flags, burn bras and like talk too. (laughs) Thanks so much. I've never actually burned a bra. So, uh, there's still time. There's still time. I, you know, I think like too, for me, when I listen to you say that, so thank you very much. Like as my coaching career progressed, I would say that is something that I really discovered about myself was that vulnerability to allow myself to be myself in that role. Mm-hmm. And that's something that maybe I wasn't ready for it, you know, sort of younger in my career, maybe mm-hmm. there weren't enough, whether that was my own self-conscious sort of biases against myself that I have or my own fears or my own maybe internal homophobia at certain times, mm-hmm. whatever that was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that I can identify it as much is at some point I made a shift because coaching felt hard. And I was like, is this hard? And I think it's a hard job in general, but it felt really difficult for me. And I really couldn't put my finger on it as to why. And it, it wasn't about winning and that kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. I was, I wasn't winning a whole lot at the time. And I was like, but why? Like it, it's not about the soccer. There was something else. And that's what I, that's what I put it, my finger on was like, I'm not really being me. I'm trying to be like, sort of maybe emulate all of the people in my life that were coaches and take pieces of them and try to do all the things I liked that they did. But I wasn't, I was still missing a part of me. And I just sort of, I mean, I even stood in front of a team one time and like tore up everything, like core values and mission statements and this and that. <laughs> uh-huh. And I was like, I don't know why we did all this this way. Like, let's start over, mm. you know, cause I thought I'm missing this. And I tried to approach it from a different perspective, which was more authentically and true to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought I became a much better coach and I enjoyed the job more. Um, I was more resilient, I was more flexible, more adaptable, and it made a huge change, which I think allowed me to continue in the career and not just step away from it and be like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. And I like it, whether you call it burnout or yeah, right. failure or whatever you wanted to call it. I just was like, mm, I, I think there's something in there. So I think that level of, for me, it was 
an internal vulnerability, like questions to ask myself and allow myself to, to be, but then to put that out externally, like to be able to say to my team, like, I screwed that up, you know, or I, I think I could have made a better decision at halftime on X, Y, or Z that would have helped you be better out there on the field. So that's on me. And, you know, I'll be better the next time. I've said things like that to my teams in the last six years, but for the first 15 to 20, I didn't, you know, so, and for me, that allowed me to be better. And maybe if, if coaches feel that or hear that, or that resonates with them, like it, it's okay. And I actually think the players respected it and valued it. And it was some of the, the best feedback I ever got from players was I really appreciated when you did X mm-hmm. and that was me revealing where I thought I maybe failed or made a bad decision or let them down or something like that. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's so important. I mean, I think that what you're highlighting is that, you know, you have to be yourself and tap into that authenticity to stay impassioned about what you're doing um, and, and stay committed. Um, and then you model again, being yourself, like to the players that they can also have that kind of reflection and come back and say, like, this is what I can do better. or This is where I, I lapsed or whatever that, and that you're not going to get so quote unquote punished for it or seen as weak or something like that. You're destigmatizing that whole sort of performance piece around you have to be perfect or you're not performing well. Um, and coaches are performers too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's a lot, they have the same schedules as the players. They, they have, they make the same decisions and compromises and sacrifices with home life and things like that. And while you coach, you're performing. So it's all, it's all really great that what you can offer that, especially to women. Um, what do you, what, what, if you had a wish list, like what would be, how would you like allies to show up? Like, um, white allies to, you know, gay allies to the sport for women as it's evolving? Yeah, I think um, first for me, it would be, gosh, such a great question. I, I think for me, it would be approach things from the perspective of you're not trying to get someone on your side. Mm. There aren't sides in this conversation. So you're not trying to change people. You're trying to understand differences you're trying to understand experiences you're trying to understand people from like I mean even meeting people who I feel like have had maybe a similar life to me to learn that they have very different experiences with things and you're like that's right I just assumed you know like Mm -hmm. we kind of had these parallel lives like you know so being a really good listener and not trying to be someone who's trying to change people to your side or fix something that's broken. Mm. I, I think that's hard for me sometimes. I'm definitely a fixer. Um, I'm like, <laughs> we can fix this, you know, we can, we can, you know, like I'm definitely a fixer, but I, I also see that in um, allies in my life is you don't have to fix it for me. You just have to be there in the space with me. You have Mm. to understand that like this is hard or this is anxiety provoking. 
Um, I mean, I'll, I'll add a layer here for you. <laughs> My wife's also a green card holder. Mm. So if something changes with gay marriage, you know, that makes me anxious. Yeah. And what that would mean for our, our situation. Yeah. Um, so I don't need someone to go out and try to fix it in that moment. Mm-hmm. I just need you to sit in that space and, and understand that if you're my ally, that you can try to have a little empathy with me in that moment, because, you know, that situation could never maybe apply to you as a straight ally. Mm-hmm. And um, right now, there's nothing you and I can do to fix it. Right now, there's maybe not in, in, in imminent danger, right? Or something like that, that we're trying to, but you can show up then in support and that show up in that support is um you know could be in the way of walking in the pride parade with me you know Mm -hmm. this weekend Mm -hmm. it could be um talking to your kids maybe you're uncomfortable talking to your own children about um gay marriage or you know gay relationships or your kids have questions and and you're just not sure how to talk about it learn how to talk about it to your kids so they can have a different kind of experience than maybe you did in your generation. Um, so I think just being, having that sort of level of awareness. So don't try to change people and bring them to your side. Be willing to listen and show up in ways that give people support and not always trying to fix it for them. Um, I think it's also okay to ask people, you know, how can I support you in these moments when if there's things that happen, you know, nationwide or in your community mm-hmm. or in your sport or in your organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's also just to, it's a really great way of conversation starter. I think for me, that's been effective is, Hey, I'm just checking in. Are things good with you? And you don't even have to say like what it's about. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't even have to say if, you know, if it's something that was a racially motivated issue in our country that's popped up again and you don't even necessarily have to say because you and I know mm-hmm. as colleagues as friends as co-workers as family members like we know that we're consuming this information together I probably know what you're talking about and if I don't I'll probably ask you yeah <laughs> right what do you mean yeah mm-hmm. yeah so mm-hmm. I think it shows that I see you mm. and I learned that as I learned that from my players, actually. Um, I have an example of um, some of my players actually asked to speak with me and my staff um, at Wellesley College when I was working there. And really what they shared with me is like, yes, Missy, you are a gay woman and you're a woman and you are somewhat and you're married to a black woman. And and there's there's a lot of sort of boxes you check let's just put it that way right like uh-huh, there's a lot uh-huh. of but you're white mm. and with that comes privilege yes yeah and for a, that was really an amazing conversation it was an amazing conversation because even though I knew it no one ever really said it to me mm. and for them to be willing to share that with me and just to give me that feedback and to say and here's how that informs your coaching here's how that informs your role as a head coach here's how this relates 
to your experiences with student athletes and to be able to have a dialogue about it was awesome. Oh my God, and it sounds so awesome. I was so grateful that they shared that with me. And so that has stuck with me ever since then in everything I do in life, including when I go home, that I am the white person in my house. And with that comes privilege. And that lens is a new one in which I see the world. And I can't thank them enough for that um, because that has allowed me to be a better ally in those spaces, but it's also allowed me to help others be an ally to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's super powerful and moving, really moving. Um, again, it shows your ability to, to be always in a growth mindset, always wanting to learn, always taking feedback as an opportunity, you know, to keep becoming, you know, who yeah. you are, you know? Um, I, I mean, I was like, wow. Like, thank you. Right. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was. Yeah. I, I can only imagine. I mean, I think that all everything you have to say, I mean, people need to be like hundred percent their ear to this podcast about all, all of the perspective and knowledge that you're bringing. Um, you know, I think that I, as I think about it too, like I, I am the parent of a gay identified girl, my daughter. And so like being able to, um, be an ally to her, um, in our home when she's out and about, um, you know, I think that generation is kind of like, I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm gay. It's very different. I'm still, I'm actually adjusting to it because in my generation, um, it's, it's, it, there was so much, we've come a long way with gay rights and things like that. And I think that, um, you know, we were watching a lot. It's, it's June now during this podcast episode during pride, we're watching like, um, a movie, an LGBTQI um, themed movie once a week this month, probably twice actually. And we were watching Harvey Milk um, mm. and she's like, wow, all of that happened for, now that I can just be so comfortable in my own skin and say who I am. And she was, she's 15, she was 11 when she came out. I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. wow, girl, wow. Um, and so it's just, it's just inspiring and to hear, you know, your, your family configuration, the way that we're, we miss spots. Like she, just because she's my kid doesn't mean I know everything about, you know, um, the dynamics of female teen gay identified girls. You know, I just, I don't, I'm not going to pretend that I do. So I think that vulnerability that you have, that's inspiring to me about like always being curious, always, always, not assuming, like wanting to engage, wanting to understand and being seen. That's so, so important. And like, if you are able to have that, if we take it back to the athletes and coaches, if you have that foundation, whoa, the world is your oyster, right? I mean, mm-hmm. to feel safe enough to be you and then go out and then do you and be you. And it's, it's really powerful. And I don't, I think people take that for granted. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I would say you got me thinking about that identity question you asked me earlier. Because uh-huh, I uh-huh. would say, like, I would say that the the thing I've been working on even more so in the last few years is also being um, I don't know if advocates the right word, but that's what I'm going to use today mm-hmm. is an advocate for like well being and mental health because all of these ideas 
these pieces that you're talking about, like showing up and bringing your best self to your job, to your performance, to everything and making space for people to do that. Like that's a big factor in it and supporting the development of uh, healthy coping skills and learning to deal with our stress and learning like, especially with our youth and um, kind of in with the, with the USL, you know, we have youth to pro leagues. We have the opportunity to support people in a lot of different spaces. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of us use sport as a coping mechanism or mm-hmm. as an outlet or as mm-hmm. a way, but sometimes our sport becomes our stressor as a coach and as a player. And so it really started to um, try to, to, to be active in that space and um, talk more even about some of my mental health challenges as a coach in particular um, and where that fits in both, you know, for coaches and for players um, and just like being able to create a space for that, for um, talking about it and taking away the stigma of it a little bit. So I would say that's another one where I'm trying to be more outspoken and also be a listener. But as we're building this whole women's pathway that we're Mm -hmm. talking about the USL is to make sure that that's a priority for our people that are are working in our leagues. Again, and our youth players are in our amateur players. You could say they don't work necessarily because they're not being paid. But I look at it as when they're out there performing and they're investing in themselves and in the sport um, that they deserve that same kind of uh, level of attention and and care from that standpoint. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm excited for all of that is to come and I appreciate you sharing that other identity. Um, I mean, I think for me and you both in the mental health field or have that training too, it's like, you kind of forget to name that, but it's kind of like (laughs) where you kind of already sit. It's like, okay, well, yeah. Um, but it's important to name it and, and be intentional about that's the way that we think. I think, you know, on our technical team here at the Oakland Roots, like, you know, I am the only female, um, you know, and I'm a female of color and um, the guys, the players and the coaches, you know, at first were trying to feel me out about, you know, where do I stand? How can I be? How can I behave? And finally, I was like, guys, this is uncomfortable for me. So this yeah. is what I'm going to say. Treat, treat me. I mean, within reason, like any other guy. And then I'll tell you if that's inappropriate, but like, don't be like, fuck. And then like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> and then covering yeah. your mouth, right? Like what I cuss too. And you're going to see that. I know that I grew up with two brothers. I grew up in sports. Like most of my friends are guys. So like, come on now. Yeah. Like, don't be tiptoeing around me. Um, I get it. It's a form of respect, I guess. But like, let me, let me tell you what I need. Let me tell you <laughs> how I work. Um, so I think just the ongoing for those men, you know, who want to be allies to us and our experience as women, like, don't assume again, that, you know, what we need or what you think is comfortable or uncomfortable, like be curious about that. Not all women are created equal and like, don't have the same experiences. (laughs) (laughs) True. I mean, again, that's kind of seems weird to say out loud, but, um, obviously that is the case, but let's, let's name it. Um, but I've, I have more than thoroughly enjoyed our time together. I'm excited to see where the Women's League goes. You know, we're 
launching Oakland Soul, our women's team. It's super exciting. Actually, we have tomorrow um, the Crest Reveal Party. And so we're just, it's just such an exciting time. I'm grateful um, alongside you to just be a part of it in, in the way that, that we are, the way I am. And I'm happy to have an ally in you in as a female in sport. And I just really, really appreciate you know, your time, your, your energy, your passion, and what, what you brought to our conversation. Well, thank you. I mean, this has been a pleasure and you and I had a chance to sit on a panel, like, um, yes. I think it was last month and I was instantaneously like, oh man, I feel like we could be fast friends. Yeah. <laughs> Same. That was like the next yeah. day I was like, Missy, we got to do this. Like, yeah. Yeah. I was like, this could be dangerous, but no, yeah. I'm, uh, um, Oakland's a fantastic organization and they are, uh, you know, lucky to have you. And I love seeing a club investing in, um, the well-being of their, their staff and, and their club overall in the ways that I have come to learn that you, um, you do there. So, and I'm stoked for the crest reveal tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you, Missy. Thank you for saying all of that. And is there anything that you want to make sure you highlight before we say goodbye? Anything? I mean, it is pride this month. Like, you know, I wanted to touch on that. Maybe like how, how do you view pride? Like it's one month in a year. I know a lot of like black people say, well, you know, black heritage month, black history month. It's like, doesn't mean anything to me, but maybe to non-black people who have a chance to like celebrate excellence or like Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, like for the, for someone who's in the community community and that's their month, quote unquote, like how do you celebrate it? Do you do anything specific? Is it any different than any other month? Yeah, I well, <laughs> I have my like Pride Apple Watch. Uh... <laughs> I love it. I can see it. Yeah, awesome. I, I uh, got my rainbow band out and got it. Changed got my it. watch face to kind <laughs> of. Uh, amplify uh, for me it's it's I would use the word amplify uh -huh. you know, for mm -hmm. me I try to sort of uh be authentic and live out loud in my own ways um every day I talk yeah. about my my kids I talk about you know my wife and my family um so for me it's a it's a everyday year-round thing yeah I think pride though is really about amplifying the voices Mm -hmm. of the gay community and um we i think are gonna try to go march in the parade or at least Ooh. take in the parade and in, uh -huh. in saint pete down here in florida um as a family oh that's um, beautiful i love that the usl has some pride initiatives that they try to um obviously activate throughout the month yes as well um and throughout the course of the year but i think that's what it is for me it's a time to amplify the voices and the the work and the people in this space um it's a time to educate and expose others um to the humanity of yeah. the gay community yeah and i also think that it's um it's just a time to i don't know really like look around and see lots of rainbows and you feel a little bit more like you're seen mm. it gives yes. you a month long of like i'm seen i i'm someone who um, is seen outside of my circle. Yeah. And you belong. Yeah. You belong. Um, so that's all super important. 
again, thank you so much. I know our conversations are going to continue um, because, yeah, our fast friendship is evolving. So <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I love I love Oakland. I used to live in uh, Reno, Nevada. So that's a little right. closer than St. Pete's, Florida. <laughs> a little closer. Too bad, too bad we didn't know each other then. But um, so I've been out, I've been out that way uh, quite a bit. Oakland's a fantastic place. So anytime you want to visit want me to visit. I'm happy to come. Yeah, yes, yes. I would love it. I would love it. Well, enjoy the rest of your evening. It's again, been a pleasure. And, you know, just everyone who listens to this, I know is going to have a, a, a different thought in their head and a feeling in their heart after they, you know, take in this, this conversation with us. So again, I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you too. One of my favorite things about our Sportsypreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at Sportsypreneur. Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, the Sportsypreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Sportsypreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. While we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsepreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide.